Good morning again. Is this weather like not the best? I know like we're, we're, how can you complain when the sun comes out? I'm sorry. I lived in Oregon for seven years. I never complain when the sun comes out. Okay. I always thank Jesus for it. So, hey, we are going to be in the book of Haggai this morning and we were continuing through our, our, uh, kind of march through the minor prophets. Um, I, if you, some of you who weren't here the last two weeks didn't know that I wasn't here the last two weeks either. So, um, uh, in fact, some of you know, and many of you were praying for me. I was actually in China. I couldn't actually talk about it publicly too much before I went because of security reasons. But uh, I had just an amazing experience with some of the house church leaders uh, in China. And it's an amazing thing that you, when you go to another side of the world, you realize that God lives there too. And God is at work. And uh, you'll hear a little bit about it in my message this morning. Um, but I know John Looney and then Megan Forbes did a great job the last couple of weeks that we continue to go through the minor prophets. So, Yeah. So if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find your way to the book of Haggai. We're going to just take some time. I know that you're a little disappointed because there's no video this morning to tell you the overview of the book. So I'm going to summarize that and, and kind of give you an idea. But this morning we're going to talk about remembering God. Uh, and you will see from the context what that, that's about. Because I think all of us would agree that there are times in our life when very important things that we think we would remember and think that we would we about in our lives somehow get pushed to the side because of other things and we forget. Anybody ever want to admit that you forgot something important in your life? Yeah, all of us have. So I, I've told this story before when Courtney and Jordan were in, in elementary school. I think they were like five and seven. And uh, and I one day I was sitting at the church office and doing my work and very focused on what I was doing and my phone rang and it was Kim. And so Kim says, hey, she goes, um, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm at the office. She goes, did you forget anything? I'm like, no, I'm doing my work, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm being a really productive day. And she goes, no, no, did you forget anything? I'm like, no, I haven't forgotten anything. She goes, like, our kids? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was my day to pick them up, wasn't it? He goes, yeah. She goes, I got a call from the school. They're sitting there waiting with their, their teacher out in front. And so I drove to the school, and I, I, cannot, I can't tell you, I've never heard so much, like, negativity and anger come out of a five- and a seven-year-old in my entire life. All the way home from the back seat was just this steady stream of like, Dad, how could you forget us? Do you really love us? Are you a good dad? I felt horrible. But I, I genuinely, honestly, completely forgot. Forgot that it was my day to pick up my kids. So, so I know all of you can relate to that because I know that all of us do that from time to time. But beyond that, you know, there's a tendency for us in our lives that when God is at work in our lives, things start to crowd in. Things start to take over. And things start to take the place of what God should only be in our lives. And we forget of the things that God's called us to in our lives. And that's exactly where God's people found them in the book of Haggai. In fact, it's interesting. So this is after they have lost everything. They've been exiled by Babylon. And so they've been taken captive. And then Babylon gets overthrown. And now Persia is ruling over uh, God's people. And then they allow this remnant of people to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And you can read about that in the book of Ezra. And so as they're going back, one of the first instructions that God gives to his people is to rebuild the temple. But when they get there, what happens is that they start to be concerned with, I need to rebuild my own house. I need to make sure I establish myself. And so for 16 years, nobody touches the temple. It just sits in ruins. It's destroyed. It's, it's the place for Israel that represented God's presence was the temple. And yet that gets pushed to the side for 16 years. Nobody does anything until Haggai comes along and says, oh, by the way, did you forget something really important? Did you forget that God called you back to the city to rebuild the temple first? And that's where we pick up the story in this book. And so we're going to just look at three things in chapter 1 
that help us to kind of understand how we, just like God's people thousands of years ago, need to be reminded to remember God in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, look at verses 1 through 6, because the first thing that we need to remember in, in terms of remembering God is to consider your satisfaction in life. Consider what you're experiencing in terms of being satisfied by your job, your house, your possessions, all the things that you would describe as your life. So starting in in verse 1 of Haggai chapter uh, 1, it says, In the second year of King Darius, or Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first year of the month, the word of the Lord came by hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Zehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say that time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by hand of Haggai the prophet. In verse 4, Is is it a time for you, for yourselves, to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's an important phrase. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Anybody feel like that's your life? You work hard. You try to save. You try to do things. And nothing seems to materialize in your life. That's exactly what's happening to God's people here. They're frustrated because they don't understand what's going on. We're working really hard. We're trying to rebuild our houses. We're trying to make a living. We're trying to establish life. And nothing is working. And God's saying there's a reason that nothing is working. There's a reason you're not satisfied with your life because your focus is in the wrong place. Your value system is off. You're focusing on something that I've not called you to focus on at this time in your life. And that there's a danger in our lives, and I think we have to learn this. We're kind of like jumping right to application of the way this looks for our lives. That each one of us in, is in danger of living our entire life, doing what we think we're supposed to be doing, living the life that we are supposed to live, at least we think so according to our culture, and to get to the end of it only to discover that we worked hard on the wrong thing that we put all of our time and energy into the wrong thing. The very thing that we thought would bring us satisfaction is the thing that just brings disappointment. And that happens so many times in our lives. Like the story of a painter who he was looking for that, like that one job that would kind of set him for life, that one big paint job. And so he got a call from a very wealthy uh, businessman. And he said, I just bought an investment house and it's a large house and it's an old house and I'm restoring it and it needs paint. It needs paint on the inside and the outside. And so he said, "I'll, I'll take the job and knew it would be pretty lucrative. He would make a lot of money. And so he went to work on this house, and there was so much work and so much detail that he spent the next 20 years of his life working on this house. And as he's working on this house, he got to know the neighbors in the neighborhood, and they would come, and they would admire his work, and they were impressed with what he was doing. And so he got to know everybody, and they were just in awe of his work. And so after 20 years, he finally finishes painting the inside and the outside of the house. It's completely done. And so to kind of like unveil the house to the neighborhood and to the investor, they have this big celebration and so all the people in the neighborhood are all gathered. And so in down the street comes this stretch limo with his businessman, and he pulls up, and he hops out of the car. And so this man who's been spending 20 years of his life painting this house, he's waiting for this big, like, ta-da moment. And the businessman steps out of the car, and he looks him in the eye, and he looks at the house, and he said, dude, you painted the wrong house. He gets in the car, and he drives away. Can you imagine if that was your life story, that you spend 20 years of your life investing yourself in something you think is worthwhile, something that you feel proud of, only to realize all of what you poured yourself into is the wrong thing? 
And that's exactly where God's people found themselves. That's sometimes where we find ourselves, that we, we work really hard because we feel like the culture says, this is what you're supposed to do, and this is what makes you happy, and this is what satisfies you. And God has a completely different agenda. He had a completely different agenda for his people. He's saying, listen, build, rebuild my house first, and then you can go after your house and the things that you need to be concerned with in your life. And they missed that. So because of that, they struggled with their satisfaction. And I think many of us find ourselves experiencing that as well. Second thing, second thing going on, verse 7 through 11. If you and I are going to remember God, we also have to consider our concerns. What concerns us in life? What weighs heavy on us? So starting in verse 7, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's the same phrase that we just read. He says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You have looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies yourself with your own house. Therefore, the heavens above have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all on all their labors. Isn't it interesting that we're in a season of drought? Do you think that maybe God, God controls the rain? Do you think that maybe he might be trying to say something to us by our drought? He could. He's God. He's the one that determines when it rains and when it's dry. I know it's kind of a strange thought, isn't it? We thought, oh, no, it's just kind of meteorological conditions, and it's living in Southern California and all that stuff. Well, maybe, maybe God has something to do with it. Maybe he's trying to get our attention to consider what we value in life and what's most important. In fact, you can read throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, drought and rain were always, always tools that God used to get a, get a hold of his people and to demonstrate his power. So one of the things we should be doing as God's people is when we're in drought, what should we be doing? We should be praying. We should be praying, okay, God, what is it that you're hold, withholding back? But, but one of the things that you and I have to kind of take, take a, an assessment of our life is what do we really value? What is the most important things in our life? Now, one of the things that will happen if you've traveled, I know we've got, you know, some people headed to Peru and, and some of our churches in Haiti, and I just got back from China. And when you travel outside of our context and you're in a different place and you see the way God is working and, and what the church looks like, it completely rocks you. Every, uh, this is the second time I've been to China, and it ruins you. It ruins you. You know, it's crazy. So what we're doing right now, you couldn't do in China. You couldn't gather in a public park. You couldn't talk about Jesus. You couldn't open the Bible. You couldn't worship. You couldn't sing songs. You can't do any of that. And you think, oh, that's not right. And we think about our freedom. But you know what? The church in China is growing faster than the church in the United States. You know there are now more Christians in China than there are in the United States. Yet this is a communist country that persecutes the church. So it, it switches your, your value system. And that's really hit home for me. And one of the evenings after we had had teaching sessions all day and we were praying for some of the leaders. And these are leaders who have given their life to the church and to follow Jesus. And many of them have been in jail multiple times for what they've done. In fact, we actually had to be sequestered at a factory for four days. We couldn't leave the factory. We couldn't go outside uh, because of the government surveillance around us. And so uh, one evening we were praying for leaders and there was this one couple in particular and they are in their mid seventies and they have been following Jesus all of their life, regardless of what the government's told them. And they planted a, a church that birthed what would be kind of like two-fifths of what they would call the house churches in China, which represents millions and millions of people, kind of were birthed through their ministry. So, so when you look at this couple, they've had their hand in literally millions of people coming to Jesus in China. I mean, just, it's like incredible. So, so they came to my dad and I this one night, and they wanted us to pray for them, which I'm like, this is crazy. You, 
we don't, you, we, you should be praying for us. Whatever you got, we want it. And so they came to us, and this is all through an interpreter because they, they speak, obviously, Chinese, and we're speaking English. And so the wife comes, and she, my dad and I were sitting in chairs, and she comes, and she gets on her knees, like right, right in front of us. And immediately I'm like, this isn't right, so I'm on my knees next to her. And so I looked at the interpreter. I said, what, what possibly could we pray for her about? And remember, this woman's about 75 years old. She's followed Jesus with her husband her whole life. And this is what she said. She said, I want God to give me the gift of literacy so that I can read the Bible for myself for the first time. I just lost it. I started weeping. My dad started weeping. I'm thinking, anything I ever ask for in the rest of my life is worthless compared to that kind of request. This woman who has literally suffered for following Jesus, all she wants to do is to be able to read not so she could read a novel or read anything or read advertisements or, or find her way around in culture. It was, I just want to be able to read so I can read the Bible for myself. And I remember I walked away from that and think, wow, Lord, what, what kind of value system that I have th- that needs to be adjusted so that when I ask for things, they have that much impact, they have that much value, that I would ask for something as simple as what we all, many of us will take for granted, literacy, that we grew up in a country where you can learn to read, where she didn't even have that. But she knew if she had that, she could actually read the Bible for herself for the first time. So think about, and that's why it's so important throughout these passages, it says, God says, consider your ways. Consider the way you're living your life. Assess yourself to understand if your, your values are in the right place. And then finally, look at verses 12 through 15. In Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, the last thing we need to do is consider our actions. So it says in verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Zehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, and the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So finally, God got their attention, and he stirred up their spirits within them and said, now it's time to accomplish what I brought you here for why I brought you back to Jerusalem to restore the temple, to rebuild the temple. Finally, they got to that point of obedience where they realized that there was something that God was trying to get their attention in through their dissatisfaction and through their struggles where there was drought and all of that. And God finally got their attention. They said, okay, now we get it. Now we get it. What's the value here is rebuilding the temple. And if you and I will look at our lives, God is always at work. God constantly is at work on us and in us to get our attention. And so many times there's indicators in our life that we tend to ignore or we write off and not realizing that God is deep at work in each one of us, stirring inside of us the things he's called us to. And I pray this often, and I'm convinced within our church family there are so many hopes and dreams and passions and visions that God has given to us, and yet they lay in ruins today because we've forgotten about them. We're letting somebody else do that, or that's not really God. I, I can't really do that. I can't really accomplish that. That's too hard, or that's too overwhelming, or I'm not gifted enough, or I don't have enough experience. All the excuses why we give God, why he can't work through us. 
but they lay dormant, they lay ruined inside of us because we're afraid to step out and we've forgotten. Some of you here today, God has called you to do things in your life that you've ignored for years and you've run from for years and you try to, to live in satisfaction, but you know that there's some frustration in you and the reason there's frustration is because you're trying to ignore God, you're trying to forget God, but people have called him, the Holy Spirit, the hound of heaven. And he continues to pursue and pursue and pursue because he has something greater in life than what we can come up with on our own. Let me just kind of give you a list of a few people in my life that I've watched how God has worked on them and stirred up in their lives. And some of them I've shared about some friends of mine. One of them, his name, one of the, my friends' names is Tyler. And uh, he and his brother a number of years ago went into business together. But prior to that, he was an executive at Nike. He was making tons of money. He was flying all over the world. He was actually he moved into the design, and he was actually designing shoes for Nike. Very successful, but he was totally dissatisfied. I mean, especially if you've ever been to Oregon and you're in the Portland area, like working at, at Nike is like the ultimate. And when you get there, it's like you've arrived. But he was totally frustrated because he realized that all of what he was doing for Nike was just about shoes. It was just about making money and profit. So he and his brother, who was also working a very successful job, both got together and said, we don't want to do this with our lives. We actually want to live our lives in a way that we can give ourselves personally and give our resources away to God's mission. So they both quit their lucrative jobs. They went and bought a printing business. Neither one of them had ever, ever been in printing, but they figured with their business savvy, they could figure out how to turn a profit. And they did. And so they started to make money. And the reason they did that is that the majority of their profit went to mission went to the church, went to invest in what God was doing around the world. And it was amazing that they both walked away from high-powered jobs because God stirred inside of them, there's something more I have for you, something more that I want you to do. Let me give you another person. This is true of so many people. My friend Jeremy, who, who because of his own failures in his own life, felt like he had been disqualified from what God wanted him to do. But after sitting through a small group with me and a bunch of our friends talking about God's work in our life, realized that he had allowed himself not to forgive himself for the failures of the past, which God had already forgiven him for. And in a matter of nine weeks and me with a bunch of guys and just talking and praying together, he realized that God had called he and his wife to sell everything and move to the Philippines to care for orphans. And so he did. He left his job. He sold his house. He pulled his kids out of school, and they moved to the Philippines to care and to live in an orphanage. And that was something that God had been working in him for at least seven years that he was pushing off, and he was ignoring, and he was saying, no, this can't be right because I'm not good enough because I failed in the past, and God finally got a hold of him. Let me tell you about a lady named Sandra, a mom of three kids who's living the American dream. Her husband's making a lot of money. She's a stay-at-home mom. She's doing what she wants to do, but inside of her, there's something that's empty. And she's working in, in, our, in our city, and she's seeing poverty, and she's seeing issues that people are dealing with. And one of the issues that she volunteered to help with was a mobile dental clinic in our city that was helping people who couldn't afford to get dental care on their own. And so she got this great idea in her mid-30s with three kids. I should go to dental school and become a dentist so that I could give away free dental care for those who are in need. So she did. So in her mid-30s with three kids, she goes back to school, and she's still finishing that up. But even now, she's volunteering in clinics. She's helping doing dental care for the poor because she knows that God has called her to do that, continues to stir her up over and over and over again. And I can keep going. I've told you about Craig and Heather Duncan, our friends who are now in Vanuatu as missionaries. They were living the American dream. They were had it all, and, and God stirred in them and said, there's more that I have for you. And so through a journey of about five years, they sold their house and became missionaries to reach people on the, literally the other side of the world. You've got John Denton, Eric Regan, who both, when they heard the call for Haiti, said, okay, I'm going to take off work. I'm going to take vacation time. I'm going to go. Why? Because God's stirring in me. I need to go help people in Haiti. 
you don't have to be that list of people. God is at work in all of us. And just like he worked thousands of years ago to get the attention of his people and say, hey, there's something greater I have for you that I want to do in you and through you. But you have to get to that point where we consider our actions. Are we saying yes to God? Are we responding to what he has done in us? And I'm convinced because I've seen it happen time and time again. Our church does a lot of great things in the community. Our church does a lot of things to touch the world. But we've just scratched the surface. Because the church is not me. The church is not the staff. The church is not the building. Look around. This is the church. This is us. This is Antioch. And there are all of us. God's called us to do something greater than ourselves. And so each one of us has to consider ourselves today. What is God saying? What has God said about my life that I've chosen to forget about, to push to the side? Maybe you're here and you know God has spoken to somebody else that is here. And you maybe are the person that needs to come alongside them and say, hey, remember when God said this? Remember when God did this in your life? And remember when you got stirred up about this? What have you done about that? What, is, what are you doing to respond obediently to what God is saying in your life? Because we encourage each other that way to move forward. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity, the freedoms that we do have to come into this park and to worship and to respond to what you're saying in our lives. And Lord, we're in a different context right now. We're outside we're not in the confines of our building. And so we're, we're at the mercy of the weather and the environment around us. But we're in something different. We're not sitting in our usual seats with our same view to the stage. We're doing things different today. And so I pray by your Holy Spirit, as your spirit came thousands of years ago and stirred up Zerubbabel and stirred up Haggai and stirred up the people to get their focus back on what you wanted them to do, I pray that today that you would come, even, Lord, in our fellowship, in our conversation, in our lunch and games and all the things that we're going to do, that you would stir up inside of us the things that you have called us to. And maybe for some of us not even knowing, but knowing that there's that unsettledness in us, that, Lord, that you have our hearts, you have our minds, you have our attention, that you would speak to us today about what you are calling us to do and to experience and to be a part and to be about in our lives for your purpose. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.